called Jesus Savior and Lord, who've reached out to him by faith and trusted him as our Savior, have the greatest news nobody's ever heard. We have the greatest news living in us and often hopefully through us that others need to hear and see and know and there's power, as we've looked at in week one, in the promise, the story of promise about him. And week two, this story of love that, that uh, Paul paints for us. Last week, this story of hope that Peter painted. And this week, a story worth telling. You and I have a story worth telling if we know Christ. We have a story worth telling. The question is, are we telling it and how are we telling it? Is it, is, is it hitting the mark? Is it, is it effective in how we're sharing our faith with others? And are we pursuing relationships with people for the purpose of them coming to know Christ? Turn to Matthew chapter 28, if you will, and I'm going to see uh, the things that we hear from this follow-up to the tomb to his ascension and great commission that we see in the latter part of this chapter of how we're to tell that story, what, what the, the ingredients are. So look with me, if you will, in verse, verses 8 to 10, first of all. Then we'll skip down to verses 16 to, to 20 together. Matthew 28, verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now drop down to verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. A couple of things in these first few verses that we looked at in verses 8 to 10 that relate to our story is this. First, our story is to tell what we've heard. It's to tell what we've heard. Look at verse 8 together with me. The women hurried away from the tomb, yet filled with joy, ran to tell his disciples. <clears throat> Suddenly Jesus met him. Well, how, do, <clears throat> sorry, <excuse> me. <clears throat> how do we know what they heard? Back up to verse 5. <clears throat> in that same chapter, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen. So they hurried away and ran to tell the disciples, to tell what they had heard. We see that story in that account in verses 5 to 7, that, he, that the angel says he's risen from the dead. Now, we don't know if, <clears throat> if they witnessed all that happened at the tomb that day because it was a pretty, pretty radical deal. There was an earthquake. These two guards fall over as dead men, the scripture says in another gospel. The stone rolls away, and Jesus comes out of the tomb. We don't know whether they heard that on the way, experienced the earthquake on the way, whether they were already there and saw all this happen, or whether they arrived after the fact and just saw the angel. But we know what they were told to do. Uh, so what have we, you and I been told to tell? First of all, two things. We've been, first of all, told to tell this same story. He's not here. He's risen. He's alive. He's not in the tomb anymore. He's walking around again, alive on the earth. That same story is what you and I are to tell, but we've got to tell it from a vantage point of owning it, from a vantage point of having said, not only is he alive, not only do I believe what the scripture said about the, the fact that he conquered the grave and came back alive, he's alive in me. He's alive and living in me. You want to see him? Look at me. 
You want to see the living Christ? Hear my speech. Watch my attitudes. Watch my mannerisms. Hear the way I talk, the way I interact with others. Hear the way I pray. Hear my, hear my the importance of sharing my faith with other, with other folks. You want to see him, see me. Why? Because he's alive in me. He's real to me. He's living and living in me. Secondly, that we're to tell is not only that same story, but we're to tell our story of how he has uniquely come to us and told us and shared his, himself with us. That, that uh, uh, this, In fact, the, the authority for this story is different. The authority in that moment was the angel. And they, he got their attention, I'll say, in a, in a real poignant way, really quick. But the authority for your story and my story is the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit urging us and prompting us to, 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 to those around us to share our faith that, that either Christ is living in us or he isn't, that, it, that the resurrection either changed us or it hasn't. He's either alive or not. Uh, listen to these words in First John chapter 2 as it relates to the Holy Spirit that we just mentioned. As for you, this is First John chapter 2, verse 27. As for you, the anointing, the anointing there is referring to the Holy Spirit, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but... As his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. He's saying, you trust Christ as Savior, the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes to reside in you, to live inside you. That, that anointing will guide you into all truth. It will guide you in the direction you need to go. It will guide you into what to say, when to say it, whom to say it to, and how to say it. So this same spirit that we hear from, who is always faithful to push us to the scripture, to push us back to God's word that we read and grasp and understand as we read it, as we hear it on Sunday, as we hear it in small group, as we share it in, in context of our homes. That same spirit always pushes us to truth, pushes us to the word, brings us back to who God is, what he's done, the fact that he is alive and wants to live in and through us. And so the messenger <clears throat> and the method are different, but the message is still the same. The messenger is you and I. The method is you and I sharing our story of the fact that he's the living Christ. But the message is still the same. He's alive. We don't serve dead gods anymore. He's alive and living in us. He wants to live through us. He's alive, as I said earlier. If you want to see him, look at me. It's a little bold, isn't it? If you want to see the living Christ, look at my life. Hear my speech. Watch my attitudes. See how I deal with others. We tell what we have heard. Secondly, our story is not only to tell what we've heard, but to tell what we've seen. Look at verse 10. He says there, Then Jesus said to them, Not be afraid, but go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Tell my brothers to go, there they will see me. These two Marys, and this was Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the, the brother of Martha, and the brother, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, likely where all these uh, disciples were encamped and, and held up during that time uh, and living there for, in Bethany. These two Marys had, had come to this tomb and heard the story and had moments later see Jesus alive here and have this personal encounter with him as he says, greetings. <laughs> now how would, you, how would you react and respond if you just come from, a, from an angelic, miraculous encounter as I said earlier, perhaps you've even witnessed the earthquake. You've even witnessed the stone come away. You've had this miraculous encounter. Then you're, you're, you're walking a few minutes down the road, down the path, and here's the living Jesus standing in front of you. Greetings, ladies. How's it going? <laughs> what? And they, they realize who it is, grasp his feet and worship him. Two miraculous encounters just like that. Has that ever happened to you? Have you had a miraculous encounter with Christ? Well, if you're saved, 
you had a miraculous encounter with Jesus because he has come inside that lived inside you miraculously. If you have experienced childbirth, if you've had kids, you've, you've witnessed a miraculous encounter. If you've, if you've ridden the dragon, if you've ridden Highway 129 in Blunt County and led the tail from one end to the other, and you come out alive, you've had a miraculous encounter. I've both ridden it on a motorcycle and driven it in a car. And the way those cross rockets come in and out of those curves, it's, it's miraculous to get from one end to the other with still walking and breathing. But you, you have, I'm sure, seen the miraculous hand of God either in your own life, the life of your family, perhaps a health issue. But if you're saved and if you've witnessed childbirth, you've witnessed, you've witnessed the miraculous hand of God. My point is this. That story needs to be told. That story needs to be told again and again, over and over in ways that, that the Spirit would open to us, that, that others around us would see and hear and understand and grasp the fact that he's alive and living in me. Uh, these encounters are, are not by accident. Uh, if, 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 as I say, we have witnessed those things, we need to tell those things and not just keep them to ourselves. <clears throat> um, because we've, we've had those moments, I've referred to them often here with you, as only God moments. Those moments where only God is the explanation. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how it came to pass. Whether it's a work issue, whether it's a health issue, whether it's a financial issue, where God has shown up in your life to do what only he can do, only he could have done. As you stop and think, you, you probably can, yeah, that was a God moment, that was a God moment, that was something only God can do. And those only God things are, are, are small or great in some cases, Miracles that he points us back to to say, these stories need to be told again and again and again. Uh, start with your kids and, and go out from there. Uh, it's, it's, and he tells us there in verse 10, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. So where do we start telling? We start with our inner circle. We start with the folks that are closest to us who have seen he's either real to us or he isn't. He's either legit to us or he isn't. He is God or he's something else to us. So we start with our with, with our with our sphere of influence, where the, the world God has placed us in, the people that He's placed us around to, to work with. It is the sovereign hand of God that you where you you may not like your job, but I can tell you this: God has placed you exactly where you are for a reason, and He'll move you for a reason when He's through with you there. You're where God wants you to be vocationally, to reach the people vocationally that God has placed within your sphere of influence. Did they hear your story? Did they have they heard the miracles of God touched me, He changed me. He did this in the life of my family, this in the health of a friend, this in my finances, this in my marriage. God has shown up again and again and again to do those kind of things. And he says, start from the inside and let it swell out from there. Go to my brothers. Tell my brothers first. And let the news spread from there to tell not only what we've heard, but what we've seen. Thirdly, turn to verse 16 or 19, if you will. We're to, we're to tell thirdly the, the story of the gospel. He says in here in verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples of all nations. A disciple is, and was at that time, a learner who walks with someone else, who, who does life with them. So he's telling us in this passage, go do life with people. Go walk with them. Go live in their world. Go share your world with them. As I've often said, invite people into our walk and into our world. We first of all, invite them into our world, into relationship, into a connection. And then secondly, into our walk. As, as we're more comfortable with them and the relationship grows and our influence grows, we invite people into our walk and into our world so that they can see from the inside out he's either real to us or he isn't. He's either the, the genuine article or he's something else to us. He's, he's something that we reserve for, 
for Sundays and, and Easter and Christmas and times when we need something special done or some miracle we're praying about or we are in trouble or in crisis and reach out to God. He's that crisis God or he's the everyday style for us. And they see that and, and can, can, can sense that truth in, in our lives. So the command here is to go do life with him. Go share your story. Go bear evidence of the fact that he's real to you or he isn't. Live among the folks and, and share your story. Now notice also the sequence here. The sequence is not go convert them and then baptize them or go convert them and then disciple them. He says, go make disciples, baptizing as you make disciples. In other words, go walk with people, go do life with people, go see, let them see the evidence of God in your life and your story will, will then have greater significance and matter at a deeper level with them once they've seen your walk. So go let them be a learner. Go let them, go let them see, go, give them an insider's view to your, uh, to your life let them see he's either real to you or he isn't. Live and, sh and share your story. In doing that, you and I earn, as we, as we do life with people and walk with them, we earn the opportunity to share our faith, and it needs to be earned. Now, there's nothing wrong with confrontational evangelism. There's nothing evil about that, but that's hard to do in your sphere of influence. You've either earned the right in your sphere of influence to share your faith or you haven't. Now, we go to Nicaragua, and I have here in town as well, knocked on someone's door to share, share faith with them, but I haven't earned it. And I don't resent it if they slam the door in my face because I haven't earned it. But if I've earned it with someone I do life with, well, I ought to walk through that door when it opens up. I ought to seize the opportunities conversationally that God brings across my path to share my story and, and the gospel with them. Uh, so if we get that sequence out of whack, we, we might lead some people to Jesus, but we're going to have a thin veneer of faith. But if they've seen ours and they've walked with us and they've seen he's real because I've seen it in their life, there's far greater chance for, for them to see something that, that they can grasp and hold on to. Now, in other words, let me explain it this way. Don't, don't miss this. Teach the people around you. Walk in relationship with them so that they will seek a relationship, not a ritual, not a bunch of rules. If you walk with them in relationship and they can see your relationship with Christ, you'll teach them to desire a relationship with him, not something that's we're checking boxes and we're going to church on Sunday and heaven, the heaven box is checked now. And so life is, I can make life work. <clears throat> yes, he is that, but he is far more than that if you walk with him and you've known him any, any length of time. He wants to walk in relationship with us and seek that relationship with others as we disciple and do life with them to bring them into, as I said, our walk in our world. So as we do that, and, and we, we, we don't get that out of order, we disciple them into evangelism. We disciple them into faith. And they've seen in, in walking with us, he, he's either true to us we, or he's not. <clears throat> our confidence to do that grows again and again. Wash, rinse, repeat. Our confidence grows as we, as we, as we practice sharing the gospel in the context of our faith with others that as I said, we've, we've either earned the right or we haven't to share with them based on how we've walked and lived in front of them. So if we're not seeing people around us come to Christ, it's likely because we've not learned how to integrate the gospel story into our story. We've not learned, we're seeing those two things as, as, as separate entities. And he says here, make them one. Go tell my brothers what you've seen and heard. Go tell the gospel. Go, go disciple them into... Those two things integrate into each other, that our story becomes a part of the gospel story. And the gospel story is a part of our story, and those two things are inextricably linked. 
We can't separate one from the other. I can't separate myself from my, my relationship to Christ, nor can, can, can I from my own story and how, he, how he's impacted my life. So how do we do that effectively? How do we conversationalize our faith? Let me give you just a couple of quick tidbits, and, and you can learn to interject these appropriately into, into your life and your world. The first is this. It's to help those in your world recognize our mutual lostness. If we, if we are pushing savedness and salvation, nothing evil or wrong with that. But judgment is often what comes across. You need to give your heart to Christ. You need to turn to repent of your sins. Give you, and they do. But if you can help someone walk into your mutual lostness, I was lost and without Christ. And I recognized I needed him because I couldn't, whether I could, I could do nothing to save myself. I could do nothing to forgive my own sin. When you can bring some, someone else into your same lostness, and Ricky, you're sharing mutual vulnerability with them, you can help them see that we don't come to Christ until we recognize we're lost. I don't come to him until I see a need for Christ. I don't mentally, I can't absorb your relationship with him. And that's kind of what I'm talking about to say, when we let people into our world and into our walk, we walk with them and disciple them and do life with them in such, in such a way that they desire a relationship too. They desire something that we have too. And they realize, they, I can't absorb that because the gospel has been shared with me. And I understand now that it's, it's about my praying to receive Jesus and inviting me into my heart by faith and giving my life, my future, my circumstances, my will, my talent, time, treasure, treasure, giving those things over to him. It's about my yielding and laying down my life and picking up his life for me. It's about a process that begins with an event. But if I see if I see my life through that lens, I can start to see boy, there's power in the gospel story. And power in my story and power in how God integrates those two things together in the people that he's placed me around, by, not by accident, to see and hear and know that. So if I can help them see that we're all lost, me and you both, and the only difference today between my lostness and yours is my lostness has been redeemed and yours hasn't yet. But if I can help them see my lostness and, and my vulnerability and, and, and the fact that I, I can do nothing to save myself, I can do nothing to, to, have, a, to have or earn this heavenly home, that I've, I've taken the scales, as, as I talked about several weeks ago, in my, in my mind, and I've thrown the scales out, that the scales are gone. It's about the grace of God applied to my sin. When I can help someone see that, recognize their lostness, it's far easier to conversationalize our faith. I'm going to tell you what's going to come out of mutual lostness. Questions. Tell me, tell me what you believe about this. Tell me why you believe this way about that. Those kind of questions are going to come, and they're going to be a vehicle into your sharing your faith and sharing the gospel with people. Those questions will come when we are vulnerable with people and help them see we're mutually lost. We're, we're, in fact, we're all totally toast apart from him. We can do nothing apart from him. And so... Help them see and recognize your lostness. The questions will come. Tell them, tell them what we've heard. Tell them what we've seen. Tell them the gospel story. Finally, our story is to tell the story of Emmanuel. Look at verse 20. This is the best news of all. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and watch. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I'm with you always to the very end. This is the greatest news of all. And the news is this, that God doesn't just visit us at salvation. He doesn't just say, okay, you're saved. Good luck. I'll, I'll call on me. I'll help you if you need me. I'll be there for you. Good luck. That's not what he does. He comes in to abide. 
He comes in at salvation to take up residence in us, to find a home in us, to find a place where he can say, I not only want to change your circumstances, I want to change your mind, I want to change your heart, I want to change your eternity and his eternity and hers and his, all because of you. I want to take up residence in you to help you see the things through the day that you need to see that, I've, that I'm guiding you toward and the people that I'm guiding you toward that, that, that need to see and hear and know your story. This idea of, of taking up residence brings us to John 15. Listen to these words in John 15. I'm the vine, you are the branches. When you remain in me or abide in me, some translations will say, same, same Greek word, abide and remain. When you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, watch, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The vine apart, or the branch apart from the vine can do nothing, he says. On your own, you're toast. You remain in me as I take up residence in you at salvation. As the gospel is applied to your life, you pray to receive Christ. And the Holy Spirit enters, you, enters your life at salvation personally and permanently. As I, as I, as I walk that out in front of others, I, I will guide you to the truth you need to see. So grateful he didn't just visit us, but he, he wants to remain in us, take up residence in us. Uh, and the added beauty of this story is this. He says, I'm never going to leave. When I take up residence, when I come in to remain, to abide in you, I come in to do, to do that from now on. Not just to the end of your circumstances, your present circumstances, not just to the end of your life even, and not just to the end of the world. In fact, if you go back to Revelation 20, you'll see, I want to remain in you forever. I want to remain in you eternally. When I come to take up residence in you, it's from now on. It's not just to the end of your day, the end of this, in the, in the, the end of this hard place to the end of this circumstance, to the end even of your life, but beyond your life into eternity. And so this, this idea of, of his abiding, of taking up residence and remaining, he says, is something that is, uh, is true whether life is good or whether life isn't good. He is there whether life is working or whether it isn't, whether it's, uh, whether it's sometimes speaking to us, sometimes waiting on us, sometimes protecting us. His residence in us, his abiding in us, is by design, his own design to hold us in place to lock the relationship into place and, and, and protect that relationship. It's, uh, if, this is, if this is not a part of your story, it needs to be. And I was probably well into my 30s before this, before this, uh, this idea, this concept of Emmanuel became real to me. I, was, I, was, I trusted Christ as a nine-year-old boy and believed I was saved and as I shared with you a couple weeks ago, doubted my salvation, went to revisit that place, nailed that down, have never doubted it since. But in my 30s, I began to see and understand this process of Emmanuel is miraculous. I mean, it, it's one of those things that, that I sit and ponder on sometimes and, and come away with, this is heady stuff. God in me, living in, in me and in you. I've seen some of you too. And I'm surprised that he's in you. I'm surprised that he's in me, that he's in you. It's heady stuff of God walking around, remaining and abiding in me and remaining in me by his own choice. Not because I'm worth it, that any of us are. And so this, if, if, if this, this idea of Emmanuel, this idea of his coming in to take up residence, never to leave, 
is not a part of your story. It needs to be, but I'm going to tell you, that's contagious stuff. Living in an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with him, you know, you want to know how to get, to get contagious? Help people understand that he never, ever, 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 ever leaves us in, in, in any circumstance. He's promised to do that, and he does it here. I'm, I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. When I take up residence, I take up residence permanently. Uh, if we can help people see an ever-present, an omnipresent God that, that never leaves, never runs, and never lets go. Well, there's power in that testimony, in that story. I think that, that you and I will, will see uh, the blessings of it as we learn to tell again and again. Well, let me ask a question as we wrap up. Remember when you had a need to tell? Remember when you first trusted Christ and the Holy Spirit in you wanted to come out? And you wanted to tell everybody, man, I just got saved. I just got baptized last week. I, I just trusted Christ as my Savior. You, you needed to t- there was a need to tell, and it stirred up in you. And somewhere along the line, the enemy has said, you know, once the emotion has gone, the need to tell is gone. He's a liar. And this book says he's the father of every lie. And he wants us, wants us to think, if you don't feel it anymore, the need's not there anymore. And friend, the need is greater than it's ever been. It's greater than it's ever been. Whether we, whether we feel its greatness or not, we, we had that need at salvation. We had the need, you had the need, ladies, when you were proposed to. Tell somebody, man, I'm getting married. I'm engaged. We had a need. When we found out we were pregnant, we're going to have a baby. We need to reclaim the need again to tell the gospel story, to tell our story and how our story is intersected with God's epic for us to say these two things were by God's design. I wasn't over here and he wasn't over here. Never the twain shall meet. No, he's designed this intersection in August 1969 when I prayed to receive Jesus. He designed this intersection. And he designed that that become one one compelling story of the gospel and my story, one and the same. The enemy will tell you, well, that need no longer exists because the stir is gone. The unction is gone. The, the sense of urgency is gone. And I would tell you again, let's revisit the sense of urgency. Let's you and I re- re- revisit our salvation, revisit our faith, revisit the miracles we've seen, the miracles we've heard about, the miracles that have been told us, that we've lived ourselves and learned to tell those stories. There's still a desperate need. There's still a desperate need to tell God's epic story. It still exists. In fact, as I said earlier, it's greater than it's ever been. Uh, The more we tell it, the more confidence we'll have in telling it, the more joy we'll return in telling it, the easier it will be to tell it. I think, well, I've not shared my faith in probably years with people, maybe at a camp or at some kind of church setting. The more we do that, the more we learn to conversationalize our faith, the more we see the intersection of God's epic story and ours, the more compelled we are to tell it. The, the, more, the more confident we become at it and the greater joy we have in doing it such that we seek those opportunities. We, we look for them. We don't back into, back into them thinking, God must have brought this about. No, we, we anticipate God, God bringing those things about before we ever get to know someone around us uh, to the extent that they've seen and heard our world and want to know our Savior. Uh, but I want to remind you of this today, this last phrase, this last verse, God's with us. If you know him as your Savior, God is with you. He is in you. He's come in to abide. He's come in to remain. Never, ever, ever to leave. And your family and your friends, those in your workplace, they need to know that. They need to know God's with you and can be and will be with them. Promise never to leave, never to run, never to fade, never to to fall. They need to hear that story again and again and again. So 
Put it into practice. Look for opportunities this week at work. Look for opportunities in, in, in friends you go out to eat or uh, dinner with or see at the ball field. Or look for opportunities to start to tell your story again afresh, to, to, to reclaim, man, God's done this in me. And here's a miracle he's shown up in me. Here's something he did. That, that, that was an only God thing that only God could have done. Learn to tell those stories again. Because I, I know some of them as I look out into this room. I know some of your only God stories. I wonder if they're being told again, again, again. There are people in your world and in my world that need to hear them. They need to know the Savior that you and I need to know. Let's pray.